Welcome to the podcast of Woburn Baptist Church. We hope that you enjoy listening to the sermons and other audio provided by us. Feel free to share what you find here, and we hope that it will be beneficial to you as you seek to know and follow Christ. I want to linger just a minute on the words of some of the words of that song. Holy judge, here is my heart. What can I say to you? Where could I run? How could I hide? Darkness is day to you. Jesus is the Lord of all the secrets. And we all have secrets. We all have things that nobody knows but us. And God sees all of it. And we will be judged. But, it says in the second verse, I was condemned under your law. Rightly I stood accused. I felt my need. My conscience agreed. I was without excuse. So how can the judge, how can I judge the ones who fall? I know in my heart, I'm just like them all. I will confess, my righteousness, Jesus, must rest in you. We have no righteousness. We are sinners. We would rightly be condemned. But Jesus gave Himself for us. He gave Himself for us. And now our judge becomes our defense. Isn't that amazing? Our judge becomes our defense. Well, if you would turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5, we'll continue on our Sermon on the Mount series. Matthew chapter 5. We'll be looking today at uh, verses 27 through 32. Now, in this section of the Sermon on the Mount, We've been looking at how Jesus treats the law. As he said in Matthew 5, 17 through 20, he didn't come to set it aside, but he came to fulfill it. Not to relax it, but to teach it. Last week we saw how Jesus points to the heart of the commandment not to murder. And he shows how all of us are guilty, even if we've just been angry, just called someone a fool. And in today's passage, Jesus continues to tear down any vestige we might have of self-righteousness. In Matthew 5, 27-32, Jesus points to the heart of the sixth commandment. You shall not commit adultery. Let's look at our text, Matthew 5, beginning in verse 27. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than the whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, 
Cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of the members of your body than that your whole body be thrown into hell. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except for the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Jesus continues in the same pattern that we saw last week. He says to us, You have heard that it was said, but I say to you. Jesus didn't teach like the other rabbis. The other rabbis would say, Well, Rabbi Ben Judah says this. Rabbi Ben David says this. Rabbi Hillel says this. Rabbi Shammai says this. But no rabbi would dare to speak with the authority that Jesus did. He taught differently than the other teachers of his day. Jesus comes to us with a diagnosis. As Jesus speaks to the issue of adultery, he does the same thing that he did with murder. Now, if you think... You're doing well because you've never killed anybody? Have you been angry? Today, we hear Jesus saying to us, You think you're doing well because you've never physically committed adultery? Have you ever looked at a woman you aren't married to with an impure thought? And Jesus points us to the heart of the matter. Our physical actions matter, but they aren't enough. There may be greater temporal consequences in this life physically for acting out. But in the heart, they both deserve the same punishment. And let's take a step back. So we can be clear what Jesus is talking about. What is adultery? We, we might assume that we know the answer to this. That adultery is merely a violation of the marital vows. That it's extramarital relations with someone who is married. So we might think that if we aren't married, we don't have anything to worry about. However, the command was never intended to be so narrowly defined. And if we define adultery so narrowly, we're guilty of reading the commandment the same way the Pharisees did. Leviticus 20 Deuteronomy 22-24 through 24 already expanded the definition of adultery to include all matter of sexual immorality. When Jesus is asked about marriage and divorce in Matthew 19, He points us back to the creation of human beings in Genesis chapter 2, which Amy read. God's plan for marriage from the beginning has always been that man and woman would leave the households of their parents, be united in marriage, and would be totally committed and faithful to one another with no rivals. So, if we want to know what marriage is, I'm sorry, if we want to know what adultery is, we must first see what God's plan for marriage is. We find that in scripture in the scripture reading from this morning in Genesis chapter 2 
A man and woman united as one flesh for life with no rivals. So any deviation from this, according to Jesus, any deviation from God's original plan is adultery. This includes sex before marriage. This is usually called fornication. However, it is included as a violation of God's plan for human sexuality. Sex with someone who is married to someone else. Sex after marriage with anyone other than your spouse. Same-sex relations, incest, pedophilia, and other things. All of these acts fall outside of God's original plan for marriage and human sexuality and are condemned by the sixth commandment. So Jesus says, You have heard that it was said... You shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery in his heart. Jesus does not relax this command from the Old Testament. He restores it to God's original intention. God is not just concerned with our outward actions, but with our hearts. So, just as Jesus said, someone who hates his brother or calls him a fool, deserves the same punishment as the law requires for murder. So anyone who has a lustful thought carries the same guilt as the one who's acted out in an adulterous way. Jesus expands our definition of adultery even more. Now it includes wandering eyes that are looking for a woman to entice them. Any impure thought that about anyone of the opposite sex or the same sex. Pornography of all kinds. Magazines, movies, pictures, phone calls. Not just what would be obviously recognized as pornography, but we're surrounded by material in mainstream movies and on television. And even advertisements that try to use sex to sell us everything from a new car to a hamburger. Each of these things are violations of God's plan for human sexuality. And they're dehumanizing. It dehumanizes both the one filled with lust and the person that they lust after. For God did not make us, He did not design us to gratify our own lusts. He designed us to worship Him. When we lust, we leave behind the purpose and intention that God has made for us. And then as lust wraps itself around us, its clutches around a person, they can begin to see human beings who were created in the image of God as merely objects to gratify their lusts. It damages our capacity for true and meaningful relationships because it warps our view of other people. Instead of a person to be loved, lust causes us to see people as commodities to be used. So Jesus, what does He tell us we should do? In this passage, Jesus follows up His teaching with a remedy. In the case of hatred, Jesus commanded us to be reconciled. He says that to being, being reconciled is so important that He doesn't even want to see our hypocritical worship until we're reconciled with one another. Jesus does the same thing with adultery. He diagnoses the disease, and He gives us a prescription. Jesus demands drastic measures. 
Jesus says, if your right hand, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. Jesus is saying to us, whatever it is that causes us to sin, get rid of it. Some would say that Jesus is just exaggerating here. They think that he's stating something so drastic just to make a point, but he doesn't really mean it literally. But I don't agree. Now, hear me out. Nobody go home and pluck your eye out. If we were, if it were just our eyes, or if it were just our hands that caused us to sin, then Jesus is literally telling us that it would be better to go through life with only one hand or, or one eye than to go into hell with our, with our whole bodies. That is absolutely true. But it isn't our eye, and it isn't our hand that cause us to sin. It's our hearts. That doesn't lessen the force of what Jesus is saying here. He warns us that heaven and hell are on the line. We cannot hold on to our sin and coddle it like a pet. We're to have drastic measures. We have to put our sin to death. Jesus may be calling you to do something drastic to save your own life. Maybe He's telling you to get rid of your cable TV. Maybe He's getting, telling you to get rid of your computer or smartphone. Maybe He's telling you to break off a relationship. Or maybe He's telling you to get married. You may answer. You don't know what you're saying. I need cable TV so that I can keep up with what's going on in the world. I need my computer or smartphone so I can keep in touch with all my Facebook friends. I I can't break off this relationship. We're in love. I can't get married yet. I need to get a stable job first. And Jesus says to us, would you rather go to hell? You may ask, are you saying that I can lose my salvation? No. I do believe that when a person truly trusts in Christ, we are changed. We don't want to do those things anymore. We want to follow Jesus. We may fall into sin for a time, but in our disposition, what we want to do is to repent, to follow Jesus. We don't defend our sin and say that it's okay. If we defend our sin against what Jesus says, we don't really believe the gospel. The doorway into the gospel, into being a Christian at all, is that we admit that what we have done is wrong and we deserve condemnation. You can't even be a Christian if you don't admit what you're doing is wrong and trust that Jesus has covered our sins. When believers who have fallen into sin hear the voice of Jesus saying this to them, they will respond in repentance. If they don't, they can have no comfort or assurance that they really even belong to Jesus. 
Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. If you don't obey what Jesus is saying, how can you have any assurance that you're one of his sheep? We know that Jesus says there will be many who will say one day, Lord, Lord, I did miracles in your name. And Jesus will tell them, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. Jesus is pleading with us all. Whether your sin is lust or whether it's something else, let go of your idol. Listen to me. Put your sin to death. This doesn't stop when we become Christians. It continues throughout our lives. And if we aren't actively putting our sin to death, I promise you, it is actively at work killing you. Jesus comes to a second diagnosis. Now, some may stop the sermon here because Jesus moves from talking about lust to talking about divorce. But I'm going to address both parts today because they're both talking about adultery. Now, after Jesus addresses the heart of the matter of lust, he turns to the technicalities in the law. Jesus says, it was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. This quote would have been a passage, would have been a summary of the tradition based in Deuteronomy 24 verses 1 through 4. And when we read the passage, it isn't actually giving permission for divorce so much as it is regulating it. Divorce seems to be assumed because we live in a broken world. And this is what it says. We'll look at Deuteronomy chapter 24. If you want to turn there, you can. I'll be just reading through it quickly. When, G- when a man takes a wife and marries her, if then she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house. And she departs out of his house. And if she goes and becomes another man's wife, then the latter man hates her and writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house. Or if the latter man dies, who took her to be his wife, then her former husband who sent her away may not take her again to be his wife after she has been defiled. For that is an abomination before the Lord, and you shall not bring up upon the land that the Lord your God is giving you an inheritance. As you can tell, When you read this passage, Moses is not so much allowing divorce as he's regulating it. It was assumed because we live in a broken world that sin would be introduced into the marriage relationship and divorce would often become inevitable. What Moses does in this passage is he gives a regulation to prevent a loophole for adultery. Basically, he's saying you can't get a temporary divorce from someone so that you can go have a relationship with someone else and then come back to your original spouse. It's like a loophole. And Moses is saying, no, you can't do that. This goes along with how Jesus addresses the question later in Matthew 19. There he says that Moses permitted a divorce, but it wasn't so from the beginning. 
Rather, it was allowed because of the hardness of people's hearts. So divorce is included in Jesus' list of what constitutes adultery. That is, any deviation from God's original plan of one woman and one man in covenant fidelity for the duration of a lifetime. Jesus goes on to say, I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife except on the ground of sexual immorality makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. The reason Jesus says that a man who divorces his wife makes her commit adultery is that it is assumed that the woman would remarry. In the economic situation of the day, it would be necessary for her to remarry in order just to survive. And so Jesus is saying that if she remarries, both her and the man she marries are committing adultery. Now, I don't want you to get the wrong idea. There are a multitude of questions that raises. Considering, what about an innocent party? The person who's, who's just left by their spouse with, who did nothing. And I'm not saying that if you've been through a divorce, that you're now committing adultery and that you should leave your spouse. Please don't hear Jesus or me saying that. Rather, Jesus is revealing to us that this is yet another deviation from God's original plan for marriage. I think we can all agree with this intuitively. Think about it. No one begins marriage planning to get a divorce. When we get married, we have all the hopes and dreams that we'll spend the rest of our lives with the person that we marry. We want to raise children together. We want to grow old together. We want to be committed to that person. Divorce, just as lust, is a deviation from God's original design for marriage. We live in a broken world. God created man and woman in the beginning for paradise, yet we have all sinned. We have all earned death. We live in a world of sickness, pain, sorrow, broken bodies, and broken relationships. God's design was for for marriage to be between one man and one woman for a lifetime of fidelity, and yet God's plan is distorted from even one impure thought, and oftentimes by things that are totally out of our control. We are broken people. Whether you've cheated on your spouse or merely entertained a lustful thought, no one who has lived past puberty has lived perfectly up to God's original design for marriage. That has been Jesus' point as we go through each section of this Sermon on the Mount. You haven't murdered anyone? Have you held a grudge? Do you think you're righteous because you've never physically committed adultery? Think again. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. There is but one remedy. Throw yourself on Jesus. He is the only remedy for the sin-sick soul. What Jesus makes clear in the passage we looked at today, Paul says in Romans 3, 21 through 25. He says, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, 
Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And we are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. We are all sinners, and we cannot keep the law. We are all guilty. We have all broken the commandments. But Jesus came and demonstrated God's righteousness. He lived out every letter for us. He freely gives it to all who believe in Jesus. God counts us righteous as a gift. Not as something we earn through good works, but something that Jesus bought with His blood. He satisfied the wrath of God that we deserve, so all we must do is believe. So for those of us who are believers here, let us again stand in amazement that God would give His only Son for us. As the song we listened to before the service said, the heart of man is amazed within So come light the way, illuminate sin. Nothing's concealed, all is revealed. Jesus, I yield to you. It's a good thing in a believer's life when he shines the light on us and illuminates our sin. Because for believers, it never covers us with shame. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Rather, It makes us fall all the more in love with Jesus who has done so much for us. And for anyone here today who has not trusted in Christ, you will not escape God's wrath apart from faith in Him. Flee to Christ. Trust in Him who gave Himself for you. Turn away from your idol and embrace Jesus. Listen to some more words from the song we heard before. I was condemned under your law. I stood accused. I felt my need. My conscience agreed. I was without excuse. Do you feel it? Do you feel the weight of the law? Apart from Jesus, apart from running to Jesus, the law will crush us. Look to Jesus. Say to Jesus with the same words that the song says, O holy judge, here is my heart. What can I say to you? I will not run. I will not hide. I know I'm safe with you. Thank you for listening to this message from Woburn Baptist Church. For more information, please visit us at www.wilburnbaptistchurch.org or you can also like us on Facebook.